Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, everyone. This is History Spaces, and I'm your host, Jerry Anderson. And I am here, as usual, with my uh, boss, I guess, Jeff, right? <laughs> I've been promoted. Jeff, Jeff Messerman, <laughs> Chief Honcho over here at Cedarburg Public Library Radio. Wow. Okay, <laughs> I love it. We're free with our... Uh, promotions. Aren't well, we? thank yes. you, thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm. It's, it's long overdue. I, I put in the paperwork three years ago, and uh, you finally got to it. Thank you, Jerry. Well, if I have anything to say about it, it'll be a lot of money involved <laughs> oh, with that as you, well. Thank okay. You, thank you. I better call my wife. <laughs> <laughs> We're moving on up, as they say, <laughs> to the east side of Grafton. <laughs> Next time you can promote me. Okay. All right. A mutual promotion society. Okay. Like Very good. Let me see. Uh, well, we're being silly, but you know, there's a quotation I ran across. I just thought I'd share this with you, Jeff, because it was just so appropriate to the times in which we are living. You know, Thornton Wilder is a Wisconsinite, the famous I playwright. I absolutely did not know he was from Wisconsin. Yeah, born in Madison. And he said, well, uh, the rep put on last year, Our Town, loved it. It was It's one of my favorite all-time plays. Um, Did you ever see the movie, the movie version where they changed the ending? I won't really watch that because it it, it can't end the way you know happily ever after. How, how dare now. they? But Although yeah. at the time I looked, I did a deep dive into it. Wilder was fine with it for some reason. He did not. He uh, unless you had the studio with a gun to his head. He uh, said, "I I think this is an alternate version, and I rather enjoyed uh, seeing uh, everyone turn out okay." <laughs> So, okay, but again, I'm sure he got a big paycheck to dry his tears on. Well, so. not that you know, our town in the original version, Thornton Wilder version, is a uh, tragedy of the first magnitude. No, Where are you going to be? Just life, but it's it's, it's just, just very a very reflective play that yeah. doesn't necessarily have to end with everyone living happily ever after. Right. So, but anyway, his words that I wanted to bring and bring to your attention, Jeff. 
He said, quote, wherever you come, wherever you come near the human race, there's layers and layers of nonsense. <laughs> I, I think that's true. Yeah. I think we're going to have a few layers today, more than likely. Oh, possibly. <laughs> if, we're doing, if we're doing our job. Well, well, even if the subject itself isn't nonsense, we usually find some way to segue into it. So oh, yes. <laughs> let's see. I'm just going to jump in to 1902 here in the United States, okay? okay. Now, in November of 1902, you know who was president at that time? moment, don't you, Jeff? It's so early. <laughs> we <laughs> okay. record so early. President Theodore Roosevelt. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah, <laughs> dressed in hunting clothes and carrying a hunting knife and a rifle, stepped from his private train onto the railroad platform of a small rural town named Smeeds, Mississippi. I might want to know what in the world was he doing in Smeeds, Mississippi. You know, he's president. Okay. Now, immediately, he and his hosts, who met him, and his companions mounted saddled horses and rode off into a wild and remote wooded area of Mississippi, 10 miles from the nearest road. I mean, they were in the wilderness. Okay. Roosevelt had originally come to Mississippi to help settle a dispute between this, that state, Mississippi, that is, and Louisiana over conflicting claims to an extensive wilderness area that lay along the border of the two states. Now, he accomplished this mission, and the issue was settled. But before he returned to Washington, he decided, Jeff, to undertake a five-day bear hunting expedition into an inaccessible area of the Mississippi wilderness. So that's why he was there. Now, Theodore Roosevelt was known as a great outdoorsman and hunter, a man who relished the rigorous life, and presented to the world an image of courage and adventure, kind of much like our image here at Cedarburg Public yes. Library Radio, rugged, rugged individualists. They see us and they get out of the way. I know. Picture us in our hunting clothes, and we have rifles up on our racks. Guess I better, go, here. Guess I better go shopping with that race. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're rough and tumble guys here. Yeah. Now, men in the U.S. admired Roosevelt, by and large, for these qualities that we're mentioning. But women also were well inclined towards him because of his playful and fatherly image and devotion to his family. Okay. Now, when Theodore Roosevelt became president in 1901, we're going to kind of just go off a little bit. And how did he get there? Okay. He became president in 1901 after the assassination of William McKinley. And he was the youngest man to ever occupy that office up until that time. He was a mere 43 years old. And Jeff, some critics in the confusion following McKinley's death were heard to say, quote, my God, a child has been made president of the U.S., unquote. And then, of course, a number of years later, there was this comment made in public by the British ambassador to the U.S. He said, you must always remember that the president is nine years old whenever you deal with him. I mean, they were very good friends, and they respected each other, but he had that wow. uh, observation about TR. Amazing. Yeah. 
So how old do you... Let's see. Here we go. Sure. How old do you think our present president is? Our present president? Yeah, present, yeah. How old do you think how, he is? Uh, is he in arrested development <laughs> or what? I, uh, <laughs> that would be going political, Jerry. And uh, if I've learned anything on this show is... Uh, <laughs> let's not go there. Let's not okay. go there. We're going to keep it clean today. <laughs> Next week, let's trash everybody. Okay. Oh, we'll have a special trash edition. We should. Oh, we haven't done that yet. Now... Uh, when TR moved into the White House, it had immediately become a lively and chaotic place. <laughs> Theodore, his wife, and their six kids quickly filled their living quarters with a huge menagerie of, get this, cats, dogs, squirrels, raccoons, rabbits, guinea pigs, a black bear, Man, boy, a black bear. Where would you put a bear? Man, I wonder I don't know. how they kept the bear from eating the guinea pigs. Yeah. I was just curious about that. Yeah. <laughs> a badger. Oh, they're fun. There, there was yeah, a, pet, a, a pet rat. That's an endearing. Oh, rats are actually wonderful pets. I've had those. Yeah, okay. And a parrot. Yeah, there's. Yeah, it kind of hung out in the. Uh, what was that? What is that called where you grow plants and. Like, uh, yeah, oh, uh, yeah, there's a word for that. Greenhouse or. Yeah, they had a. a terrarium. That's where the. Yeah. yeah, the parrot lived there. A green garter snake also. Oh, good. And there was the children's favorite pet was a pony named Algonquin, hmm. who was known on at least one occasion to wander the White House and was taken by the children to the second floor by the elevator to visit one of the sick Roosevelt children in order to perk up the sick kids' spirits. Can you imagine the carpet cleaning bill in the White House <laughs> after this? Well, you got to I mean, admire his Lord. free and easy raising the kids just free and yeah. wandering. It just, yeah, the bear, you know, pooped it, the bear pooped in the Lincoln room. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's a problem. Yeah, well, you know, you invite the British ambassador over, you know, and... <laughs> Have him clean it up. <laughs> watch, watch that when you're stepping in here. Okay. <laughs> now, this convergence of the president's love for nature, wildlife, and the outdoors, and his childlike delight in his children and family set the stage for one of the most popular cultural icons our nation has ever created. See, I totally buy this. I can see how some... This is actually somebody... You know, whatever his political leanings, of course. But mm -hmm. I mean, just with bringing a bunch, you know, bringing like the Clampett clan to the <laughs> to the White House with all their animals and critters, and uh, you know, all the kids running around. I mean, that's I find that just utterly charming. I can totally see how that would work. Well, as we said, you know, men admired his hunting and manliness, and the women and really admired this whole big chaotic family thing and his devotion to family. Sure, so. the cleaning staff wished he hunted the bear that was roaming the hallways, but that's okay. You know? Well, we're getting, we'll get to that, you know. It's kind of, let's see. Now, we're back to Smeeds, Mississippi, 1902. He's just arrived and gone off 10 miles from the nearest road in the Mississippi wilderness on a bear hunt. So that's where we pick up. Now, the five days following Roosevelt's arrival at the small railroad platform in rural Mississippi proved to be one of the worst hunting experiences of his life. He's usually used to being quite successful. Now, reporters were allowed to travel to his remote camp once a day to ask questions and to assess the progress of the president's efforts to hunt and bag a bear. 
That's kind of funny. He was out hunting one, but he had one back in the, uh, you know, in the White House. I suppose that was a pet, though. Well, he was away. He was worried about trade agreements or uh, treaties or anything like that. I, don't or, know. I mean, I wonder know. if he went golfing down there. <laughs> well, was, you, know. you know, is that a thing at that time? I, I know. Yeah, Woodrow Wilson was the first big golfer, presidential golfer, and he's coming a little later, about eight, eight, ten years in the future. Sounds like Roosevelt would have shot the ball, but yeah. not what we're talking about here. You wouldn't have had much patience with that. You know? <laughs> Give me the gun. I'll sh- <laughs> I'll get it in the hole for you. <laughs> I'll leave it. I'll make the hole bigger. <laughs> now, what do they have to say on Smash Factor about this? That other show, that. tune in at yes. CPL Radio, Smash check Factor. Yeah. And tell them to trade his uh, nine, uh, nine iron for a uh, sawed-off double barrel. <laughs> Kind of a Sicilian special, <laughs> sought up. Now that's how you played the game of uh, golf. <laughs> how did we get here? We get here all the time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Bear oh with us, audience. Here, so yeah. Full contact golf, yes. <laughs> yeah. So the reporters are there to assess his progress. But by the fifth day of the hunt, it became evident that Roosevelt was having no luck at all locating an animal. He had not even seen a bear during his entire time in the woods. But an event on the fifth and last day of the hunt inadvertently gave T.R. an avalanche of national publicity that would immortalize him in the history and consciousness of countless unborn generations. Aha. Here we go. <laughs> on the last day of the hunt, a pack of the party's hunting dogs picked up the scent of a nearby bear and took off in hot pursuit of it. With one of the party, men that is, following the dogs through the thick brush on horseback. Now, Roosevelt and a fellow hunter remained mounted on their horses in a clearing with their guns ready, waiting for the dogs to drive the bear back towards them. Now, hours passed as they sat there. The president and his companions sat in the hot sun, sweating. And the rising temperatures of that fall day made them very uncomfortable. But meanwhile, the hunter in pursuit of the bear, by now he was miles away, saw a small bear, small, explode from the bushes in front of him with a pack of dogs closely in pursuit. Hot and exhausted, the bear ran into a nearby pond and proceeded to fight for its life as the dogs attacked it. This all would have been on ESPN if they had been around at the time. <laughs> yeah. Now, one dog jumped at the animal with its jaws open, but was killed instantly as the bear broke the dog's back with one blow from its paw. Evidently, it wasn't that small. Jeez, like a obviously. reality show this yeah. is. <laughs> so, now, the lone hunter, uh, the one who was right there, a man named Collier, dismounted his horse and threw a lariat around the neck of the fatigued and nearly nearly prostrate animal and carefully tied it to a tree. Then he waded into the water and I even hate I even hate relating these these facts. They sound so gruesome. He waded into the water and using his hunter, hunting rifle as a club, he cracked the weary and frightened animal over the head, head rendering it senseless and nearly comatose. Wow. Now, using a hunting horn to communicate his location to the president and his companion, 
Remember, they were waiting back on horseback. Mm -hmm. He waited for the arrival of Roosevelt. Finally, it seemed the president would have the opportunity to claim a trophy for himself. <laughs> doesn't uh, doesn't sound sporting, does it? Say, yeah. send, send out my people to get me a bear to kill. <laughs> no. Well, hope for the best. <laughs> well, soon Roosevelt galloped up to the scene at full speed and quickly dismounted pulling his rifle from its saddle holster and raised his weapon, taking aim at the bear. Mm -hmm. What he saw before him disturbed his conscience greatly. There on the bank of the pond, stunned and bloody and caked with mud, lay a small, not yet fully grown bear who had not the strength left to resist in any way the fate awaiting it, seemingly. Roosevelt paused as his gaze took in the situation materializing over the sights of his rifle. Now, Collier, the guy who'd found the bear, prompted him to shoot, saying, shoot, President. But Roosevelt slowly lowered his rifle and ordered Collier to release the bear. He then silently put his gun back into its saddle holster, mounted his horse, and rode back to camp. He could not bring himself to shoot a helpless, immature animal. He had too much reverence for the wilderness and animals who lived in it to engage in a meaningless act of killing just for killing's sake. Now, now is this fact or is this presidential uh, lore? No. Well, <laughs> I'm just curious. <laughs> my, my natural every, suspicion. Every word I'm saying. <laughs> well, no, maybe not every word. You know, when we get careful, off the subject. Careful now. <laughs> this is a true story. Yes. All right. It is true. And Documented. I did a lot of documentation right. and reading and cross-referencing. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> to gather that. this together. Now. Because Trump, Trump released the same story this morning about himself, just so you know. It just came out. Well, we know that that he is the best hunter, <laughs> yes. presidential hunter in the history of the country. He is a he, very more, stable hunter. Yes, he yes. is. <laughs> well, he he supports gun rights and Absolutely. other such things. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, no, no. I mean, it's know. just that uh, I'd like to protect children a little bit more. I think it would be nice. But I mean, we are as adults supposed to be protecting children, and I think I'd rather protect my child in school rather than. Hold on to the right to hold on to a weapon whenever I please, or especially if I have mental problems. Or I suspect we can find some sort of balance there, and uh, a balance. You know, there yeah. you go, Jeff. We are so reasonable, don't you think? <laughs> That's why we're roundly loathed by everyone we know. <laughs> I still don't see anyone out through the window in the parking lot. Oh, it's picketing coming! Us. Uh, it's it's a groundswell. It's uh, they always come late. We start so early. Well, <laughs> give me give me a heads up when I'll this is going to happen. Anyway. I can scoot in the back door or something, or out the back door. Now, later that day, after he had refused to shoot the bear, he was asked by reporters about his reasons for not shooting the bear that had been tracked and found for him. And he replied by saying, quote, I draw the line. If I had shot that little fellow, I couldn't look my own sons in the face again. I do not shoot little baby bears. Just a short, terse statement. That's it. Boy, this guy knows how to play a crowd. Yep. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, that not a big, long justification, just a statement of fact. And that was <laughs> Your great. president does not shoot baby bears. No. That's a bumper sticker. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> now, November 16th, later in the month, 1902, 
an editorial cartoon and an accompanying article appeared in the Washington Post newspaper. The cartoon pictured Roosevelt dressed in his hunting gear and armed with a rifle, sparing the bear cub's life, and it was titled, quote, Drawing the Line, unquote. Readers were delighted and laughed wildly when they read of the president's sparing of a helpless animal's life in the wilderness of Mississippi. His words struck an emotional chord in the souls of people all over the United States. Daily reports of the president's frustrating hunt had appeared. Oh, excuse me. That's all right. It's, uh, appeared in newspapers across the country, so everyone was aware, pretty much, <laughs> that he was out there, and he wasn't having much luck. But when news of the president's high-minded and generous gesture spread across the land, his popularity just soared. People, are, oh, cool guy, you know. <laughs> Now, um, he, he was weak. I would have pulled the trigger. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Well, these we weren't are going more, there, remember? We weren't going there. Are you trying to say these are more bloodthirsty <laughs> times now? We, we'd spare no one. <laughs> we, the president, <laughs> well, would yeah, Democrat, Democrat uh, bear. You, <laughs> you attack uh, people who are handicapped, war, uh, war veterans, right. what else? Well. Women. Gee, I mean, God. So anyway, give we don't me a to... target and I'll take it out. <laughs> Bear had blue, blue on his paws. No, no. Anyway, Romney is Romney's gonna catch it now. Oh, isn't hey, he, he's boy. gonna be the bear tied to the tree. I guarantee you. Oh my you gosh! That. Oh my gosh! That's yet. Yeah. God, I know he doesn't like Trump, and there are probably some. Uh, oh, there's personal things personal going things oh, going yeah. on there, but I mean, in a sense, there at least some of that you have to admire some courage just to stand up and buck the entire party. Oh yeah, and many people in his state just by saying. And, and uh, he was very shrewd. He uh, spent the whole uh, speech um, uh, citing his faith, and um, which really makes what he did sort of unassailable. I mean, they can attack, but then they make then you're opening a whole can of worms with uh, faith because he used that as his uh, crutch for that entire mm-hmm. diatribe so it's ah, these are such fascinating times we live in they really Aren't are they? I mean just, well we're know, gonna next year's history spaces we'll be talking about today <laughs> you know <laughs> start writing Jerry I look forward I look forward to the future season this, three is gonna the rock whole, <laughs> the whole um, can I say this soap opera that's going on, which will not even be resolved by the end of the year, oh, probably. But uh, we'll see what happens. Yep. Now, meanwhile, after this 1902 <laughs> thing, a Brooklyn, New York candy maker, you bring candy into it, named Morris Mictum. Mictum. I had to look that up I, because it's not spelled the way it's pronounced. But Morris Mictum, he decided to do something to commemorate this event. And honor the president for his noble activities. Morris Mictum is a great name, by the way. I yeah. really like that name. <laughs> just that, that struck well, a chord with me. <laughs> well, it's, it's really his wife we're getting to here. Oh, okay. so now, he asked his wife, Rose, Rose Mictum, to create a stuffed bear. And she made one from extra pieces, pieces of plush mohair material that she had lying around the house. And uh, with shoe button eyes, just made those up. And embroidered detail for the mouth. Snout, ears, movable arms and legs all were part of this original version or prototype. And 
on November 21st, 1902, we even have a date here, after his wife had put the finishing touches on the animal she was working on, Morris took it to his candy store and in his store's front window placed the bear on top of a mountain of wrapped chocolate candies. Now, there's, there's a unity of just wonderful things, you know, <laughs> uh, the stuffed bear and a bunch of chocolate. There's a man who's clearly out for a raise as well this week, <laughs> Morris McDon. This is just destined to be a, a thing, you know. It's, success got is written all over it. Probably broke the bell off his uh, cash register after a while. Oh, my gosh. Well, let's, let's get to that here. Now, next to the display of the bear on top of the pile of candy, he placed a hand-printed card with the words, Teddy bear, unquote, on it. Customers and passersby loved the display, and people came from great distances around the city to see the new and unique item in the candy store window. And legend has it that Mr. Mictum asked his wife Rose to produce copies of the original bear to sell to customers in his candy store who had offered to buy the bear from him. Uh, Rose, I was wondering if maybe I could uh, introduce you to the concept of mass production. <laughs> well, she just, you know, turned his, his back rooms into a sweatshop right, with his wife right. just doing piece work on these bears. I Don't mean, worry, Rose, you can go out in April. It's fine. I they, you know, I have to look more into this. Did he? At what point did they have to hire this out? And do this in a, a larger facility because she couldn't do this. There were much more of a uh, yeah demand for these things. She was known she could in, fulfill. She was known in the neighborhood as Bloody Hands Rose. It was, oh, <laughs> yes, red-handed Rose. Yeah, but Morris wondered. He had a question: Would not the president Roosevelt be offended at the use of his name or his written nickname, really, Teddy, without permission on a commercial product? So Mictum took the bear out of the store's window. Here's a guy with some integrity. This is You have to admire this. Took it out of the store's window, packed it into an old candy box, along with a letter to President Roosevelt, and mailed it to the White House. Wow. Yeah. Now, Mictum wrote, quote, Dear Mr. President, I do not wish to seem disrespectful, but I would like to call my toy Teddy's Bear, mm-hmm. unquote. The president was charmed by the cuddly stuffed animal and responded to Mictum by writing, quote, I don't think my name is worth much to the toy bear cub business, but you are welcome to use it. I think his evaluation really, he underrated his uh, I think so. because, <laughs> yeah. Now, the Mictums immediately began producing teddy bears to sell in their candy shop for $1.50 each. Now, in 1902, three. Yeah, that was pretty steep, hefty. Yeah. Steep, yeah, yeah. The new item became so popular that the couple decided to close their candy store and enter the toy business with the teddy bear as their first creation. Candy's out the window. Now it's all about toys. It's a shame they didn't have any baby Yodas. Would have been. <laughs> well, it's a big hey, thing now. The, Same idea though. They are they are still with us though. Yeah. Here, the X candy store eventually became the headquarters of, here we go, Jeff, the Ideal Toy Company. Oh, wow. Which became quite successful. Oh, absolutely. So they started, the the Mictum started the Ideal Toy Company, and their first product was the teddy bear. 
I remember those 50s ad jingles. Oh, Something, sure, sure, sure. it's ideal. Oh, know, yeah. On TV. Absolutely. Oh, a lot of gosh. games, a lot of like uh, radio controlled cars, that sort of thing. Absolutely. Yes. Now, the Mictums presented one of their first bears to Roosevelt's son, Kermit. And that very bear, Jeff, is on display at the Smithsonian Institute's Museum of wow. American History in Washington, D.C. Very cool. I didn't the stumble very, upon that in my uh, the very tour there, but there's so much to see. You can't uh, possibly. Uh, See it all. So. Oh yes. Here we go. Okay, Jeff. Now the teddy bear was an immediate and enduring sensation, and a fever of bear mania swept the United States, right out of New York City. It didn't stay just there. Hmm. Now, bear hat pins and tie pins were worn by men and women both. Women wore necklaces of small bear figures around their necks. Teddy bear watch chains appeared on men's waistcoats. And the teddy bear also made its appearance on Easter and Christmas cards in the years that followed. Oh, I'm being clumsy. It's okay. No, uh, it adds adds something to the broadcast, I think. (laughs) uh, Radio Veritas. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Exactly right. (laughs) It's like the film. (laughs) Now, toy and department stores had virtual mountains of the teddy bears quickly shrink and disappear in the frenzy that swept the nation. I mean, really, places just could not keep enough of these things. Now, two popular songs created as a result of this preoccupation with a new toy were something I think we're all familiar with. The Teddy Bear's Picnic, and how about this one? The Teddy Bear Blues, and to forever solidify the connection between the cuddly, comforting teddy bear and children everywhere, mothers for years afterward quietly sung their children to sleep with a soothing song called The Teddy Bear's Lullaby. And I think we're going to go to break now, Jeff, aren't we? I believe so. I Actually, I would have been much preferred to be soothed with uh, the teddy bear blues myself, but that's just me. I'm a weird kid. Well, should so. we go with that? I mean, no, no, that's okay. We we'll, deserve... We'll, we'll, do the, we'll do the picnic. It's cute. Okay, All right. let's do that. And who's, who's uh, the artist here? This would be the great Henry Hall and his orchestra. I'm not sure who's crooning, but here we go. Let's listen up. Of a big surprise. If you go down in the woods today, you better go in disguise. For every bear that ever there was will gather there for certain because today's the day the teddy bears have their picnic. Well, we're back. That's a nice song. It's just a feel-good thing. That's an interesting visual. A bunch of teddy bears uh, enjoying food in the, in the clearing in the woods. Oh, if we saw that in real life, it'd be alarming, but that's okay. Depends how you spin it, I how guess. About it, how about the teddy bear float? We could create that, maybe. That sounds disturbing, For too, the, Jerry. Uh, <laughs> 
for one of our s- summer celebrations. I read too much uh, Stephen King, clearly. <laughs> first, the clowns, you mean? Now it's going to be te- killer <laughs> teddy bears. Right. It's all trouble. Jeff, don't, you know, let's have some respect here. Absolutely. Some things are sacred, teddy bears. Don't cross. What did Roosevelt say? Not, don't cross the line. I don't, don't. All you're doing is giving me. I draw me- the line. I draw the line there. <laughs> all you're doing is giving me fuel for my next novel, Night of the Teddy Bears, of course. Oh, gosh. No. I forbid it. <laughs> I quit. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> oh, what a threat. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so I read, someone wrote this little thing about teddy bears, and I thought I'd read it to you. Every night when the world goes to sleep, millions of children are comforted by this plush and furry friend, which embodies all the goodness, loyalty, and contentment they wish to have present in their dreams. So I and wished and wished to have presence in their real life. How about the real life? <laughs> why why limited to dreams? I think your waking life should be kind of nice too, if at all possible. I'm well, I'm big on that. <laughs> why should we have to numb ourselves and go to sleep just to imagine a world in which we're let's say safe? Right, right. Oh my. <laughs> or children are actually looked after. Uh, oh my gosh. Oh gee. A strange world. That's a whole thing. It but is. I know people out there are going to disagree, but we're just having fun with it. What no. the heck? Yeah. So, now I found this when I was doing the research for this. I thought it was really interesting to speculate about something, Jeff, and that was McKinley's assassination in 1901 had an unexpected consequence: the making of a famous chapter in the history of toys. Because had McKinley not died. T.R. would never have been in the Mississippi wilderness in 1902, and the teddy bear would not be in the Toy Hall of Fame as it is today. See, now you're playing with the uh, space-time continuum a little bit here and speculating on things. It's dangerous. You know, if it wasn't for that hunting trip, the fact that he refused to shoot the bear, then the editorial cartoon... And then Morris and Rose Mictum in New York City doing that and sending it to just be Theodore it. Roosevelt and <laughs> right. saying, sure, use my name. And all that whole series of yeah. events was just tripped by the fact that uh, McKinley was assassinated in 1901. Yeah. This is so Star Trek. Would, would that have been, <laughs> would we have a teddy bear today? Spock, we're going back in time to <laughs> save <laughs> McKinley and put these bear craze to rest. Yeah, well, you know, in the 1920s, though, Along came Winnie the Pooh from England, right? So very teddy bear like. It's a very teddy bear like, but yeah. would it have been called a teddy bear? That's true. That's that you know, you would have had a bear figure, but not yeah. a teddy bear. Winnie the Pooh, which or is, piglet, or piglet would have been the star, and <laughs> Winnie the Pooh would have just yeah. been a secondary character. <laughs> well, Winnie the Pooh is Disney's most popular animated character. I over believe. Mickey, even. I mean, yeah. Oh, he surpassed Mickey years ago. Uh, <laughs> Years and years ago, yeah. Winnie and Mickey drinking at a bar, and Winnie reminding him how much bigger. Move I'm over. Bigger than you. You're nothing, the mouse. Yeah, he was. I think it was night in beginning in the late '60s or seven by the '70s 
Winnie the Pooh had taken over yeah. as the most popular figure. That and, that story packs quite a wallop for a lot of people. I have seen even here in this in the hallowed halls of this library, people adults asking for that book, and you can kind of tell that they just need it. They need to revisit something. Winnie they, the Pooh. You bet. A. A. Milne's the original. Yeah, the, that's for whatever reason. And then the sequel, a number of years after that, was the House, House of Pooh Corners. Pooh Corners. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Oh. We did a show on that. So many. We did, but we it's, it's not ago. available now. But I'll get there. Maybe I'll get we there. Could <laughs> maybe we could redo that show. We could even do it better. I mean, that well, would be kind of interesting. He's know. kind of a cousin to yeah. the teddy bear. I suppose that's true. But to be a real close cousin, you'd have to be an American bear. <laughs> Otherwise, that's you know, right. that's too distant. Uh, Winnie the Pooh is a distant, distant fifth cousin, three times removed, whatever, or something. Here but, in the colonies we have, we can take care of ourselves. Then. But I'm going to talk about the first cousin of the teddy bear. Aha. I have another little story for you. Absolutely. Yeah. In, during the World War II, Southern California, 1942, mm-hmm. a Japanese sub attacked uh, really? surfaced off the coast of Southern California and fired shells into the California coast. Ah, you're dipping into what Steven Spielberg was playing with in his movie 1941, which is amazing. Yeah. That was mm-hmm. it's a, a underrated film that is completely chaotic and slapstick laden and outrageous. But there are levels of truth that everyone on the uh, West Coast was they were they were mobilized. They had little citizen groups and. Uh, in Spielberg's movie, he uh, puts two guys up on a uh, Ferris wheel, who unfortunately uh, <laughs> to watch to watch the coast, who unfortunately do get fired upon by Toshiro Mufuni, Christopher Lee. A little vulnerable there. I oh, think. very much so. Well, Make a target. Of it's yourself. funny you mentioned that because actually the wheel. Don't even get me started. It's a great. I mean, just an evocation of time. Like I said, it's it's outrageous and very <laughs> profane and silly. It almost is like the Blues Brothers meets. Uh, you know, a World War II type of thing, but it's so well done. I, I think it, it deserves a second evaluation, definitely. So I have to really, give that a look, Derek. It's Jeff. great. It's great. Oh. Belushi and Aykroyd, but not together. They uh, Belushi's in the air the whole time as Commander Wild Bill Kelso, looking for looking for uh, Japanese, uh, you know, t- uh, subs and whatever. And uh, unfortunately, he's inebriated for most. Of these. <laughs> he's drunk flying. Well, of course, so. it's a great movie. Oh, well, I'll give it a look. But that Japanese sub attack I mentioned. Yes. Yeah, uh, it raised uh, suspicions that any further attacks like that could cause forest fires. Sure, because sure. the explosions could yeah. uh, and you know, think conditions were so dry there. I mean, we talk about the fires that we read about yeah, in the papers we deal now. With that but now, yeah, there was a great fear of forest fires, and fire prevention as a result of fear of these attacks became a wartime prior- priority in Southern California. And there was an advertising council that started to promote fire prevention in Southern California. Now, Disney lent out to this ad council the image of Bambi, and this began the use of animal characters in fire prevention posters that were made and distributed throughout the United States. Sure, sure. So I'm just making a little line here between the Japanese the sub-attack Fear of forest fires and then the ad council and the use of animal characters. Okay. Now, but Bambi was only temporarily on loan for one year to uh, the ad council. And another (laughs) Uh. character had to be found. 
1944, an artist named Albert Staley created a poster of a bear who is appropriately named Smokey pouring water from a bucket over a campfire. Now, this wasn't the Smokey the bear that we know, but he was named Smokey. Now, I found this out, too. I have to refer to this little notation. Smokey, this bear, was named after a legendary firefighter, Smokey Joe Martin. He was named after a real person who had died in a fire in New York City in 1922 in some chemical factory or something, some big magnesium fire. It was just horrible, and he died in the fire. So 22 years later, he has this uh, character named after him. Now, beginning in 1945, this Smokey the Bear became the popular image of fire prevention campaigns in forest and parklands of the U.S. The confident bear in the ranger hat and blue jeans saying his message of only you can prevent forest fires (laughs) soon became an iconic image of American advertising history. Now, um, I suppose back then he had to also add, and perhaps only you can prevent Axis subs from firing missiles into our national forests. <laughs> well, little things start a chain of events <laughs> like the assassination of William McKinley. You know, I mean, really. <laughs> hold it. Hold it. Oh. Now, remember, Jeff, at this point, the Smokey the Bear image we're familiar with, that, that wasn't in existence at the time. It was a bear-like figure with a hat and the jeans and all this and saying that the, uh, only you can prevent forest fires. Fine. But in 1950, a forest fire in the Lincoln National Forest in New Mexico left a bear cub orphaned. And after he was rescued, he was flown to the National Zoo in Washington, D.C., where he became the living symbol of forest fire prevention in the United States. Now, just a little uh, notation here. I read this story. This was kind of interesting. There was a radio personality in Washington, D.C., who used to do uh, the Smokey the Bear public service announcements, and he's the one that created that really deep... Only you can prevent forest fires. I'm right, sorry, right. my horrible. No, it wasn't bad. Of it. I, I, you know, I'll give you a nine point one. Well, <laughs> what he did was to create that deep and resonant voice with echoey effect and everything. Was he put his head in a small barrel as he was speaking into the microphone? Oh, okay. okay. And it had that reverberating effect and whatever, and that created that sort of thing. And he did that in a radio studio, much like ours, I guess. I'm jealous. I don't have a barrel. Well, maybe <laughs> we bar- should get one. It sound a lot better. <laughs> I need my baritone barrel. <laughs> we can do our show with uh, big buckets over our head. You know? <laughs> our, our adoring audience would probably appreciate that, those who look in. Yes. <laughs> oh, gee. Now, now, in the 1950s, the U.S. government claimed all rights to the image and character of Smokey the Bear. And by this time, they had... Uh, other artists had worked on it and created the current image of Smokey the Bear. Okay. Now, the original Smokey the Bear died in 1976. Really? He did, yeah. So he was 
from 1950. He lived for 26 years there, and he he died at the Washington Zoo, the U.S. What was that called? The uh, National, National Zoo, Zoo yeah, in D.C. Yeah. Now, but always, I, I'm glad. Seems, I'm glad forest fires didn't run rampant right after he passed away. <laughs> you know, he's like, Look what he was doing for us. Well, never fear, Jeff, because I found out that they Uh-oh. always have a Smokey Junior <laughs> as the designated heir. So when the older Smokey does die, they have the other one, and I. Also read that over three million people come to visit Smokey the Bear each year. Wow! In the National Zoo in Washington D.C., he's got good people. I wish I had that many listeners on our radio station. <laughs> three million a year. I'll take it. Well, get, get me my barrel, Jerry. <laughs> you can get there. I'm going to have mine monogrammed, and maybe everyone who does shows in here can have their Absolutely. own, kind of like in a bar, you know, your own. Yeah. Your own glass or highest rated yeah. show gets the golden barrel. <laughs> I I feel that would be a great award. I think it would. Don't do. you? Absolutely. It's the golden barrel award. <laughs> we all sing roll out the barrel as you guys were delivering it to you. This is a great, yeah. great visual. Yes. Now, by the way, Smokey the Bear, three million uh people come a year to yeah. visit the current Smokey the Bear. And so many people write to Smokey the Bear. Wow. I don't know if that's really up to date and current because yeah. now, do you email Smokey the Bear? <laughs> Tweet does, he, him. does he have a, a website and you can just send him an email or whatever? But he used to get thousands of letters every week. Wow. And he got so many letters that he was given his own zip code. Nice. In nice. Washington, wow. D.C. I wow. guess there are only two things that get their own zip code, and one is the White House. Right. And right. two, Smokey the Bear. <laughs> So that's kind wow. of interesting. <laughs> what do you say to him? Like, hey, dear Smokey, I didn't start any fires this week. You're welcome. I mean, I, I'm not sure what he Maybe did. he ought to move right into the White House. <laughs> it will take cage free. <laughs> do what you want, Smokey. Take some of the current occupants and put some right. <laughs> oh my. in the zoo. What? Or they could trade places. Okay. <laughs> oh, now we're in big trouble. Now. <laughs> Now we've done it. I know. I figured we'd step what in. What is it. this? We'd step in it eventually here on this episode. Well, you're always saying, Jeff, if we're having fun, the listeners are having fun. So I hope everyone out there is having a blast. Buckle okay. in, everybody. Uh, yeah. Now, uh, since the U.S. government had all uh, rights to the image of Smokey the Bear and use and advertising and whatever, oh sure, uh, they started to produce Smokey the Bear. Um, like uh, stuffed animals. Oh, and oh, even better. Yeah. Oh, and no. guess what? Toy company produced it, Jeff. <laughs> the ideal company the showed ideal up. Ideal toy company. We have a good one, ideal about this. <laughs> the same company that produced the teddy bear. There we go. In 19, beginning in 1902. When in doubt, go with the experts. And they went with, uh, you know, uh, uh, the teddy bear's first cousin, Smokey the Bear. Sure. So there you go. Now. When uh, the original Smokey died in 1976, there was an obituary on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. Wow. That's amazing, isn't it? (laughs) And his remains were returned to New Mexico, where he was rescued originally in 1944. No, 1950. That's right. I I hope he wasn't cremated, because... (laughs) 
No, <laughs> he's buried there. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's they buried him near where he was rescued and it's an area that's been designated the Smoky Bear Historical Park. Oh, very nice. And a plaque marks the spot. Absolutely. Isn't that nice? That's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, so uh anyway, I have a little thing I wrote. Yes. As kind of a sign off and sure. wrap up. Absolutely. And the teddy bear is such an iconic symbol and symbol of comfort and longing and love. So I will say, Jeff, to all the teddy bears that were, are, and will be, thank you. And thank you, Teddy Roosevelt and Rose and Morris Mictum. And to our listeners, Jeff, and to all of you, Good night and sweet dreams. And we'll see you next week. Go out with the uh, Smokey the Bear song. We didn't have yes. a chance to play that. What Let's a good do idea. that. All right. Smokey the Bear. Uh, sung by Johnny Jones and the Peter Pan Rangers. Uh, look them up. This is, a, this is a deep dive into an archive. <laughs> Absolutely. Right? So from a 78 RPM record. Mm-hmm. See you next week. You will find him in the forest, always sniffing at the breeze. People stop and pay attention when he tells them to beware. Because everybody knows that he's the fire-preventing bear. Smokey the bear, Smokey the bear. Prowling and a-growling and a-sniffing the air. He can find a fire before it starts to flame. That's why they call him Smokey. That was how he got his name. You can take a tip from Smokey that there's nothing like a tree Cause they're good for kids to climb in and they're beautiful to see You just have to look around you and you'll find it's not a joke To see what you'd be missing if they all went up in smoke Smokey the bear, Smokey the bear Prowling and a-growling and a-sniffing the air He can find a fire before it starts to flame That's why they called him Smokey, that was how he got his name Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.